so glad to have you with us here in person, also online too. We're so grateful. And um, I know it's been a crazy few weeks here at Table Life Church. We've had a lot of different events and things going on in our community and just in our our groups that are gathering. Um, It's all really, really great stuff. And and so I determined this yesterday. I was um, speaking at an event that was not in central Pennsylvania. It was towards Philadelphia. And um, I realized that, like, central Pennsylvania is probably the only place that we trick-or-treat on the Thursday before Halloween, right? It's like, maybe it's not the only, I get some heads shaking. There's other places that also trick or treat in other times, but we had a great event on Thursday here. We provided a rest stop. Um, but in that kind of spirit, knowing that Halloween is traditionally set, traditionally by everybody else celebrated tomorrow, even though it'll be kind of crickets outside. Um, I'm gonna start off with a question that'll Uh, get you guys talking a little bit. I'd like you to turn to a neighbor and share just for, we're going to give you just like a minute here. What was your favorite or best Halloween costume? And this may be yesteryear, back when, or maybe sometime, sometime soon too. So share what was your best or favorite Halloween costume. So everybody participate, turn to someone, share your name first and share your answer. Okay, everybody. And also, you guys online, too, you can participate. Type in your answer. Okay, let's, let's see. Um, the, and I'm just going to put a little disclaimer here. I'm not responsible for anything that's said. Um, we're saying that these are appropriate for church. But um, does anybody have a costume that was shared with you that you'd like to share? Something maybe a little bit different than what we normally think of. Anybody? Any takers? Yeah, over here, we have some proud hands. You were an outhouse. That, that. So you're, archive that away, 2023 Halloween, you too can be an outhouse. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Anybody else? Yeah. Oh, a garden gnome. That's a clever one. I like that. Very cool. How about over here? A, a very happy Steelers fan. Do they exist? I don't there we go. Okay, anyway, we're not going to get into that. We, we do. Pastor Chris is responsible for that, but um, not anything else. Uh, how about one more? Anyone? Any takers? Brave enough to share? Yeah. Okay, anyway, so um, I thought I'd, I'd answer this question for you. Um, don't, don't put the picture up yet. Um, this is the only time that I will speak of like politics and voting from this stage. Now everybody's like, oh my gosh. So um, I was in like, uh, let's see, I was about like 10, how old was I? I was like 10 years old. Um, and uh, election was coming up all this time of year. And um, my brother and I, who um, he was here a couple, to visit a couple weeks ago, he's two years older than me, we decided to tag team to be the presidential candidates. See, the election of 1996, we have a picture. <laughs> Bob Dole and Bill Clinton. And we walked around together, and I have to say, we certain 
houses, we could tell how they were going to be voting that year, how much candy they filled in our uh, sacks there, and it was, it, that was probably one of the best Halloweens that, that we celebrated, um, and it was like we were friends, we were walking like hand in hand, and walking around, so that was a great, great year, lots of fond memories of, of Halloween, we were good sports. Um, and so, just like on that note though, when Halloween comes around every year, there's always that question, especially if you have children or nieces, nephews, the question of who or what do you want to be, right? Sometimes the kids tell you ahead of time, sometimes it's like the night before, what do you want to be? And, and dare I say, I think that's a good question to ask, not just for Halloween, not just for Halloween. Who do you want to be? Because uh, generally, if we sum everything up, there's basically three components in life, three components. If you totally simplify things, there's, there's who you are, there's who you are, there is uh, what, uh, who you know, there's who you are, who you know, so that's like relationships, so who you are, relationships, and then there's what you do kind of three buckets, three categories. So who you are, your relationships, who you know, and what you do. And most of the time, though, we spend most of our time, our energy, and our money on these two, on who we know, our relationships, once again, a good thing, on, on what we do. And we spend little time thinking about and praying about and discerning who are we called to be? Who are you called to be? And, and the thing is, most people spend our time and energy on these two things with very little thought about that first one, but it's always a mistake to decide what you want to do before you first determine who you want to be. And that's how many messes are created, because we think about these two things without thinking about that without thinking about who do we want to be and how that influences what we do and the relationships and, 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 and what we do with all of that. And most, most people generally don't understand that or, and actually never decide that, never think about what kind of person am I becoming and who do I want to be and be, be known as. Because ultimately who you are on the inside will determine what you do and it will also determine the health and satisfaction of your friendships and relationships. And, and you know this. You know this because you've seen on the news and in all entertainment stuff, you've seen some very amazing, talented athletes, well-known politicians, amazing entertainers. And when we say their name, what you remember is their mess. You don't remember anything else about them but their mess. And, and even on a more personal level, too. Uh, you know, you could think about maybe your, your family relationships. You can't get your dad to tell you why, you did, why he did that, or why your mom chose that path, or why a friend decided to do that to you, and you don't get it, and the thing is, they can't explain it. See, who a person is really on the inside impacts what they do and what they don't do, and it also has long-term ripples in the lives of other people. It matters who you become. See, God's goal is not to try to get you to behave. If you've been thinking about church and faith and a life of faith in that way, that you're wrong. God's goal is not to try to get you to behave. He's getting you to become. And so we're reaching in the chapter four of our letter, 1 Corinthians. Um, we're in this messy church series, and we've been unpacking this, this 
book or this letter over the last few weeks, written in about 57 AD. So just think about it, just a couple of decades after Jesus' resurrection. And the Apostle Paul, who came to faith as an adult, he was literally knocked off his horse. That's kind of his story. He was writing to a church in Corinth, a church that he had founded or planted. He had started it four years ago, four years earlier. And in this section in chapter 4, he's wrapping up his response to division in the church. And we talked about that. We talked about the division that was happening. And he's moving on to some other matters because he had heard about these things and he's addressing them in this church. And the thing is, many scholars believe that chapter 4 was the intended end of the entire letter. It was the intended end. But what was happening while Paul and his, his colleagues are writing this down, and he's in this, this city of Ephesus, and he's going to send this letter to Corinth. Um, while he was writing it, he received some additional news. <laughs> and guess what? Out of that report, he wrote 12 more chapters of messiness addressing. Imagine that, right? And actually, just to note, chapters and verses didn't come till centuries, centuries later. This whole was one big, long letter that would have been read all at once. So he's writing this and saying, oh, gosh, darn, I got to write more to these people, right? But here's some questions to consider as we dive into chapter 4 here. And this kind of is is framed to that question of who. Um, Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like spiritually? And, And the answer is always Jesus, right? When in doubt, the answer is Jesus, but, but not just Jesus. Who are some spiritual models in your life, whether historically or in the present? And what characteristic in particular do you look at, do you hope to be? So we're going to look at, uh, starting with verses 1 through 5 in this chapter. You can follow along in your worship guide, too. Everything's printed there if you want to look at this later or take notes. And so Paul starts out in this section. He says, This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove what? Faithful. Faithful. Underline that if you're taking notes. Faithful. I care, very lit- I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what's hidden in darkness. He'll expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So, so beginning in chapter 3, verse 21, this is from last week, um, he was telling the church, don't lift or elevate one leader over another. And that's what they were doing. They had great leaders, and one of the people were like, okay, we're Apollos fans, and no, we're Paul fans. And he's like, get past that. Get past that, because church leaders are individuals through whom we believe, but not in whom we believe. We believe in Christ, And anybody that's serving the church in a capacity are servants. And they're instrumental in helping develop people's faith, but they're not in place of Jesus. Remember that. Any person, whether in a pastoral role or a leadership role, is not in the place of Jesus. But also, Paul phrases this, that they're servants of Jesus. That these are servants of Jesus. Not servants of the Corinthians, by the way. Sometimes we, that's good to point out that, that they're servants of Jesus first. 
But the key here is in verse 2, that word that we stopped and paused at. Now, it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. Faithful. It defined as loyal and steadfast and trustworthy. What does God desire us to be? Faithful. Not successful, faithful. And there's a difference there. Faithfulness is a big deal to God and to one another because it's a reflection of God's character and God's behavior. But it's also important to note that faithfulness doesn't require you to be flawless. Faithfulness doesn't require you to be flawless. And so the Corinthians, of course, are living out of what's considered kind of a mixed pagan Christian thought system which is very similar to where we are today. Like, it's a mix, right? It's the holy buffet. You get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, I do this, I do the karma, I do the Jesus, I do the rocks, I do the whatever I want to do. Like, we mix it up. That's what people tend to do. And so they, they think that their status, by having a little bit of Jesus in there, it puts them one up on everybody else to judge everybody else. That it gives them permission, including Paul himself, so there's indications here that the Corinthians, they're judging Paul. Like, whoa, like that's kind of crazy. He talked about them as spiritual infants a little bit before this. But even Paul, he admits that he messes up. That's what he's saying here. He admits his own blind spots. And that's a good thing, right? Isn't it good when somebody admits to you to say, hey, you know what? I, I have blind spots too. I mess up. Hey, I really struggle with that. Like, it, it actually brings you closer to them. See, Paul is not hiding behind God. He's self-aware, but he's also aware of his imperfection. And that doesn't stop him. And he goes on in, in that, and he mentions that little bit about conscience, right? He says, my conscience is clear, but that also doesn't mean that I'm innocent. That doesn't mean that he's innocent. And so let's just pause there at conscience. Because there's a phrase that we often say, the Corinthians will often say, let your conscience be your guide. You've heard that before? It's not biblical at all. Not biblical at all. See, Paul, he's saying, I don't even trust in myself. My conscience might be wrong. Your conscience does not always mean God. Just because you, you feel peaceful about a decision, just because uh, you think like, okay, well, I, you know, I feel good, I feel almost like a tap on the shoulder, it, conscience is a trained thing. It's trained according to the voices that we're here, what we're reading and what we're paying attention to, what we're, who we're surrounding ourselves with, that it's trained, but it's still human and it's not perfect. That little voice inside of us it does not always mean that's what God is saying. We have to compare that to his word. We have to look at what history tells us as far as godly figures. And Paul's response, he's saying, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows my conscience is clear. I might, he's basically saying, my conscience is clear. I might be wrong, but the motives that are in my heart, Jesus knows. And he's going to bring to light a lot of things, including our shortcomings, but also, Jesus brings to light our intentions. Our intentions. That's not the end of the story. That Paul is saying, like, I know I fail, I mess up. That I'm not at all perfect at this anyway. But when you fail, dust off, confess, repent, get up, and get back on the road, guys. 
Don't let it end there. Don't let your story end there. See, being a follower of Christ is, is not going to be showy or spectacular. It doesn't give you a one-up on everybody else. But he's saying it's kind of like watching over a house. If you've ever house sat before or watched somebody's property, it's required that you be faithful. Be faithful with what's entrusted to you, what somebody else is trusting you with. But then he goes on and kind of cranks up a little bit of the irony and sarcasm. Paul was a very sarcastic guy, so read, that with a, read this with the sarcasm, uh, with a little bit of sarcasm here. So he continues in verses 8. He says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. I'm kind of rolling eyes, right? You've begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we would also might reign with you. Sense the sarcasm there? For it seems to me that God has put us apostles, meaning the founders of the church, on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We're fools for Christ. But you, you're so wise in Christ. We're weak. Oh, but, but you're so strong. You're honored. And we are dishonored. See, what Paul's saying here about faithfulness is that faithfulness often looks like weakness. Through the sarcasm, the sarcastic comments, that faithfulness often looks like weakness. That when we decide to be faithful, we risk having others thinking that we're weak. See, what Paul's doing, he's trying to get them to see the disparity between their expectations of their elevation and their, the real experience of those who followed Christ closely, the apostles. And he's alluding here, uh, you probably don't realize it, he's alluding to an event that most of the readers of this and the hearers of this, this letter would have been very familiar with. See, when Roman generals returned after a great victory to their, their founding city, when they would return, they, they actually had built these gigantic uh, arches, kind of looks like that. You see these in many Roman-influenced cities around the world, and they were called triumphal arches. And the procession, when they would come back into town, back into the city, they would walk through that center there, and the procession would pass through. And this wasn't just a parade. This was a, had a really significant religious meaning. It meant that the soldiers needed purification. It was a rite of purification. They had done so many terrible, terrible things to people. And so they believed that when they walked through that arch that had that effect of purification, that then they were ready to go back into the city to their families and to the people. And so that was what was believed here. And it was also a very powerful display. It was like Rome saying, Rome won again. And the whole event, you know what it was called? It was called a triumph. That's what a triumph looked like. But at the same time, in that procession, as they're walking through the gates with this religious meaning of being pure again, uh, guess who was at the back of the procession? The captives, the prisoners, the people who were locked up and in chains and dragged along and who, after the parade was over, were usually killed afterwards. Paul's saying that's the work of the apostle. That's what faithfulness looks like. Not being at the front and the triumph. But, and oft, often that's what faithfulness feels like. 
being dragged along in chains at the end of the line. And he's saying, the Corinthians, you guys have it backwards. Being a Christian, a follower of Christ, does not elevate you. Instead, you're, you're actually being propelled downward to the end of the line. Think about that. Taking a place at the end of the line instead of being up first. And he continues in verse 11. He says, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. We're cursed. We ble- when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. See, I think he also shows us that faithfulness doesn't depend on our circumstances or consequences. Faithfulness is independent of what's going on around us. You know, you can usually tell somebody's character when they're under pressure and what comes up, right? But faithfulness doesn't depend on our circumstances or consequences. It's um, remind me of another uh, grocery cart story. I shared one last week and I share with you this week. Um, I don't know if, if this goes for you, but you know, after I have my grocery cart, kind of check out, get all my groceries, go to my car, especially when it's like now it's going to be the holiday season, you have to park all the way in the far end of the parking lot. Um, you have your cart, the question comes up in your head, what should you do after you unload, right? And I have to confess, the lazy part of me wants to, I see somebody else had like propped a cart in the corner of a space. The lazy part of me wants to take my cart and plop it with that cart and then go on my merry way to my next part of the venture. And usually, I have to say, the circumstance that lends to that most when I'm tempted to do that is not when it's clear outside, but when it's raining or it's cold, or it's really windy, and it's miserable. And I'm most tempted when the circumstances around me are are really, really bad. I want to just say, I'm just going to do the easy thing, right? Nobody's watching. Like, you know, nobody in Mechanicsburg knows that I'm the pastor, right? I just, like, go there. So, you know, but but honestly, those thoughts think that go through my head. But but it matters what we do in clear weather, also in stormy weather, and, and so that little voice goes off in my head, and I'm like, cart here or all the way back, right? The rack is all the way at the end of the lot. So, you know, most of the time, I go, I can, I go back, and I take the cart back. Um, but, but the thought crosses your mind, right? And, and so don't we do that, though, with many things and with people? I mean, your boss is a jerk, and so you use your time to, at work that you should be doing work to look on Pinterest, right, and play games. Or you say, mom hurt me. Like, mom did these horrible, horrible things, so guess what? I'm going to hurt her. I'm going to get back at her. Or even, God didn't come through. And I've done this in my own life. God didn't come through for me. Like, you know, I don't know about this. So guess what? I'm going to stop worshiping. I'm just going to go and do my own thing. And we do these kinds of things. And the Corinthians... They knew what the normal response of people when they were being persecuted or, or looked down upon. They knew that the cynic philosophers, remember they had all these visiting speakers that would come to town and share their views and philosophies. They knew that the, the cynics, that was a group at the time of a philosophy, that if they were insulted by someone, they would hurl insults back. They would try to get one up on them. The Stoics, which was another group, They would ignore people that would insult them, and they would rise above them. And they would also condescendingly look down upon them and say, oh, those poor little poor people, right? 
even in Judaism. In Judaism, a normal response was to threaten your captors. So God would punish them in return. But Paul offers a different way. The one of the way of a crucified Messiah. That faithfulness is not reactive, but it's proactive. It's deciding before the weather changes how you will act. Not depending on the circumstances and what you will do. And that's why he's saying, that's why this stands out from the rest of the world. Paul knew that of all people. And there's going to be consequences that come with being faithful. Being faithful to your family, being faithful to your spouse, being faithful to God, being faithful to the, the commitment you made. And that's, that's why there's, there's going to be some problems. At some point, faithfulness will cost you. And we're not usually okay with that. But we also have to realize that regardless of the consequences, that faithfulness, though, faithfulness is something that, that carries us forward. And so, uh, but it's not something that comes natural to us. And so Paul uh, goes on to say this in verse 14. He says, I'm writing this, though, not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Wow, right? For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He'll remind you of my way in life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. See, faithfulness is learned and practiced. It's not something that comes naturally to us. It's learned and it's practiced. And a good example of that was our church board Christmas party of 2021 here at Table Life Church. If you weren't aware, we have a board who is responsible for governing as kind of the governing body, and you'll, uh, membership will get to vote for our uh, new board members in a couple weeks. But um, the end of last year, we had a nice little Christmas party, and Becca, our office administrator, and I, we plotted to um, give out some gifts and, um, and so we did what was like, what is it called a Yankee gift swap, some people call it, or a white elephant or whatever, where you put all the gifts in the center, you draw numbers, and the first person goes, takes a gift, opens it, the second person, they can either like steal the gift or like take a new one. And um, the thing that Becca and I decided on wrapping up for everyone was Saint Socks. I'm gonna put that picture up. They exist. They exist. You can Google that, and you can buy them for some friends and family members. So all the saints, and lots of, there was like avocado Jesus. Uh, uh, there was some avocado Jesus. What, 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 I don't remember what that was. <laughs> there was an avocado on a sock. So um, anyway, so we, we, people were unwrapping these things, and it was very, very surprising to see how the demeanor of board members changed when the St. Francis socks were unwrapped. And a certain individual unwrapped them, but then there was another individual who drew a number later from that person. I'm not going to mention any names, Ben. But, um, <laughs> but then we had a board member named Frank who decided in his love for St. Francis would take Ben's favorite saint. And he did. And he did, and you saw the tears just dripping down Ben's face as his saints were stolen stolen in this game and you were thinking like wow there's fighting that's happened i mean like almost fist fighting no i'm just making that part up but think about who is better right 
Like, I don't want the St. Teresa ones. Right? I want the St. Francis ones. I don't want the avocado Jesus socks, right? right? Where, that there was, there was bickering. There was, you know, all in good fun. But in some ways, it was kind of similar to the Corinthians, fighting over who was better, who was better. But they missed the point in that. It's not who's better, but it's who is modeling faithfulness. Faithfulness. That, that Paul is not trying to shame the Corinthians. He's trying to warn them. He's trying to build them up, not tear them down here. It's like if you've ever had somebody in your life come up to you at a point that, that they saw the train wreck that was about to happen and you didn't, aren't you glad that they pointed that out to you, even though you didn't receive it well, even though you, you blew them off or became defensive? Isn't it a good thing? That's what Paul is doing here. He's introducing them to Jesus. He's saying, no, this is what Jesus is about. And I'm going to send Timothy to you to learn from. Because Timothy models this. He's going to show them how to walk in a relationship with Christ. It's learned and it's practice. And he says in verse 16 that very powerful words, imitate me. Imitate me. That's really strong. And it's worth noting, too, that nobody in Corinth had actually witnessed anyone living as Paul did. That the people of the time that they were surrounded with did not live as Paul. See, Paul was giving generously. He was not playing power or political games like the imperial cult was. That he was modeling a life of what it meant to surrender to Christ. And friends, we need people in our lives to model it. I mean, for you, like what does it look like to be a faithful single person? What does it look like to be a faithful married person or married, someone with married with kids or a divorced dad or a divorced mom? What does it look like to be a faithful retiree? What does it look like to be a faithful young adult or teenager? What does it look like to be a faithful elementary school student? What does it look like to be faithful? Who is your Paul or your Timothy? See, that's the power of the church body. We need to be what I call fat you need to be fat. Go home and share that with somebody. Say, I, the pastor told me I need to be fat. And what, but it's an acronym. So it, it stands for faithful, available, and teachable. That's how we learn best. It's when we're faithful, we're committed, we're available. If you're not available, you can be, you can be teachable, but it's, nothing will work. And also being teachable to learning, to growing. See, you can't teach someone who thinks they know everything. But the second part here is when, when Paul is saying this, he's saying, when it comes to following Jesus, imitate me. Whether you know it or not, people are following you. You would say, I'm a spiritual baby. I don't know anything. Or, you know, I've been following. Like, no matter where you are, people are taking their cues from you. Uh, years ago, President Calvin Coolidge, um, one of our streets around here is named after him. But um, he invited people from his hometown uh, to the White House, and he didn't know all the fancy rules of what you should do or not do, and the people didn't either. Um, and so this was their first time there. So he sat down for tea to them, and they decided that they were just going to follow the president. So the time came for tea and coffee, and the president poured his coffee into a saucer, and everybody kind of looked at one another, and they followed the president, right? And so they did the same, and next, uh, the president added some milk and a little bit of sugar to the saucer and stirred it up, and the, his friends around him, they looked at him, and I guess, I guess that's what you do, right? They, they did the same. They put that in there, and then they thought for sure that the next step would be for him 
just take the saucer with the coffee and begin sipping it. But instead, you know what the president do, did? He leaned over, he placed the saucer on the floor, and he called the cat. <laughs> People are taking cues. People take cues from us. Even if you don't realize it, even others are already following you, whether you know it or not. And especially if you're a parent or have influence over, over children, the people are learning about Christ by observing you, no matter where you are spiritually. And it's been said that, this is a quote, children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. And instead of being scary, though, that should be our goal. To say, what would it look like to, to say it as Paul did, imitate me. I want you to imitate me, not by default or not by mistake, but I want you to imitate me. And kind of to sum all things up here in this section, think about who you want to be. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be known as? Before we just clean up the mess on the outside, what if you started within? Because it's always a mistake, it's always a mess to decide what you want to do before, before first deciding who you want to be. Be faithful. It matters. It matters. See, Paul isn't correcting the behavior, behavior here. He's not just telling them, stop being divided and stop arguing. He wants them to understand the characteristic that we should become, we should become is not successful, but faithful. It's a reflection of God, no matter what our circumstances and my hope for all of us is that we would be found faithful too. Let's pray.